Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. Here to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Patrick flying solo again with Men's Health Unscripted. And we have a really great guest on who I am super excited to talk to, Bo Payne. Um, Bo is an advocate for sobriety, former baseball player, and has a whole laundry list of really interesting topics to talk about today. And let's just dive right in. How you doing, Bo? I'm good, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me, man. Excited to be here. Yeah. So uh, as a former, I played college baseball. I saw you online um, and, and you're really advocating for sobriety, healthy lifestyle, mental health. I mean, just like the whole gamut of like what men's health is to us. So I had to talk to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to professional baseball, and then we can just kind of go from there. Yeah, you bet. I won't uh, I won't bore you with the whole life story, but um, uh, I, like you said, my name is Bo Payne. Uh, I'm 49 years old. I live in Boise, Idaho, so I'm on the other side of the, the country, although it's about 103 today, so it's crazy hot. So I'm <laughs> glad to be inside doing this with you guys or with you. Um, so I went, uh, I was born in Tennessee. So I'm originally from Tennessee and our family made our way up to Vancouver, British Columbia by the time I was about six. And then uh, I was always a good athlete, you know, on all my different teams, baseball, football, soccer, hockey, hockey up in Canada, obviously. Um, all the, all the main sports, tennis, all that stuff. And then when I was, I was getting to be known as a, a national baseball prospect and up in Canada and I had you know, a lot of scouts in the U.S. knew about me. And so I moved to Miami when I was probably for my junior and senior years. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, 17 years old, thrown in the low nines. This is back when, you know, guys didn't throw as hard back in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> um, so I, I could really bring it, you know, and I was a pitcher. I wasn't a thrower. You know, I knew how to pitch. I love fishing. I love the, the chess match of, of it all. But, um so I ended up being a projected, you know, first sec at the latest second round pick out of high school going into my senior year. And this is just the baseball aspect I'm telling you about. Um, had rides to all SEC schools. You know, every Saturday morning was nice. I'd go down to the mailbox and there'd be a stack of letters from, you know, LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Florida State. I wanted to stay home and go to University of Miami at the time. Huge powerhouse. Uh, but I also had another uh, double life going on. By the age of 15, I was a full-blown drug addict and alcoholic and uh, had a lot of abuse growing up in life. Um, don't need to really get in. I mean, if you'd like, I could talk about that stuff too, but it's, I could probably write books on all manners of, <laughs> of abuse. I mean, every box you can tick it, you know, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, on and on. And that stuff really did a number on me. Um, the physical stuff, uh, Patrick, it it got to the point where I'm like, okay, here comes another beating or whatever. You know, I'd go four for five. This is, say, in a Little League game with two jacks, two doubles. But the fifth at bat, I'd have the audacity to strike out. Good Lord. Oh, my gosh. You know, so I would have the living crap beat out of me for the strikeout. And and I got used to the the physical stuff, like I said, but. The mental stuff, like you're an embarrassment. You know, this is all from my father. How could you do this to me? How could you embarrass me in front of all these fans? And I'm thinking in my head, there's like 12 people in the stands. This ain't Fenway Park, dude. Sitting, you know, Yankee Stadium, Game Seven, World Series. 
how am I embarrassing you? I just went four for five with two homers and two doubles. Anyways, it just went on from there. So I was a destroyed guy by the time I was in my mid-teens mentally. I had no confidence, um, but I still had a lot of ability, athletic ability. So um, ended up getting uh, uh, robbed in a drug deal in Coconut Grove, which is a suburb of Miami, going in in the summer, going into my senior year. And uh, things just started going downhill from there. Um, I quit playing Legion ball that summer. I started gambling, going to the highlight tracks. If no one, your viewers don't know what highlight is, it's a, it's a Florida game. I'm sure you might know. Oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Pretty sure I was, I'm pretty sure I was yeah. conceived after a highlight game. Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So started going to the, or the dog tracks and then the highlight games and, and gambling and got involved in the wrong guys and ended up uh, becoming academically ineligible. You know, I had no grades, so I had to sit out my senior year, lost my draft status. Uh, the plan was to come back, um, be a fifth-year senior. I think this would have been 91. And I just kept doing drugs and drinking, and I just couldn't get out of that lifestyle. And I ended up uh, going to a JC out in California, um, had another a shoulder surgery. I've had five uh, rotator cuff surgeries. And uh, then ended up getting you know, kicked out of that school for drinking all the time in the dorms and, and being silly and dumb, and, and my grades suffered. Um, Brewers offered me a bonus. I turned it down because I knew I'd get drafted higher if I really got my head screwed on right. So I transferred to a school up in Seattle, Washington, a community college uh, where I could play, um, you know, sit out half a year to get my grades up, which I did. Um, but by that time, man, I'd had a surgery on my uh, labrum and just nobody knew what, what guy was going to show up on the hill that day. You know, I was 94 one day, six days later, my next start, I wasn't even topping out at 83, you know, because I was drunk every day, uh, unshaven. I stunk like booze. I could barely lift my arm. Um, so that's kind of the, so I ended up being a late round draft pick by the Marlins. And I just told them, thanks, but no thanks. I'm done. I, I just needed another surgery. And I just, uh, so I have no one to blame, you know, for not making it. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, <laughs> Bull Durham. It talks, you know, uh, Kevin Costner tells Tim Robbins, he says, you know, you're blowing it, man. You got a million dollar arm, but a 10 cent head. And that's, <laughs> what, that's what a lot of the scouts said about me back then. And, and I would joke about it, Patrick. And I would, I'd say, Oh yeah. Ha, ha. You know, and it, it's funny, but inside it really hurt because I knew it was true. And I knew that I was, uh, you know, just messing my career away, but I, I was just such a, a full blown alcoholic and drug addict at the time that I really, I guess I don't want to say I had no choice, but, I was sinking down a, a hole real fast and just didn't end up making it. Yeah. Well, Bo, I definitely appreciate your vulnerability and the courage just yeah. on the podcast and discuss it because there could be somebody listening that could be in the same situation and could definitely learn from this. And then a side note, I love Bull Durham and I feel like I modeled my baseball career after crash. Will you be in a catcher? Heck yeah, man. That's um, I, I got to say this real quick. Like, because I, I love baseball movies and I love movies in general, but um, people ask me all the time, hey, what's your favorite uh, baseball movie? And they expect me to say The Natural, Build a Dream, stuff like that. I say, hands down, Boulder. And they say, why? I say, it's the most realistic baseball movie ever made. Yeah, and it's I agree. Just, you know, the way, just the speeches and the way the guys act in the locker room. You've been in locker rooms, obviously, you know, and just from the baseball to, you know, Costner is such a great athlete, the way he swings a stick and throws and his mannerisms and, so it's that's my favorite movie of all time. Bulldog. Yeah, he he actually Costner actually looks legit. I know some other baseball movies. It's just like, man, you've never swung a bat, and then 
Um, but <laughs> they Don need, Goodman in the Bay. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was awful. Oh yeah, they need to get like a stunt double. They need a stunt double, like a bat double. Yeah, it, just real quick in um uh, in uh for love of the game. I I assume, assume you've seen that. It was later on mm -hmm. in the late nineties. Costner was a pitcher, and they got and he was in his late thirties filming that maybe or mid forties, and they got him at like eighty seven on the gun, man. Oh wow! And yeah, I mean, it's probably a fast gun, you know, but still, I really good athlete. And <laughs> yeah. in Tim Cup, Tim Cup, he's got a great swing, you know, a great golf swing, and so he's just a he's just a sports guy who knows how to talk sports. He knows how to talk the language and and swing bats and swing golf clubs, and catch and throw. So that's what makes it believable, you know. Yeah, he makes it good. But I, I kind of want to circle back real quick. Yeah, sorry about that. I get no, excited good. talking about. Oh baseball, no, I love. So. I love it. We're, we're, this is a fun podcast. We don't say like, you know, we're not super right. serious. We like to have fun, but we also like to educate and be informative. Yes. So here's, so here's the thing. We're just circling back a little bit. You're talking about 15 by the age of 15, you're a full blown addict. Uh -huh. Would you say that the drugs and alcohol were masking some of the abuses you were feeling at home and in your, in your personal life outside of baseball? So you're using, to mask emotions, mask your feelings, and essentially numb yourself just to get to the to the next day to you know carry on. Hundred percent. And this is um, I do a lot of public speaking, and I talk about this a, a lot, um, especially if I'm talking to to younger guys and younger athletes, even. And you don't even have to be an athlete. Um, so all the abuse that started in my household was around age six. Um, like I said, uh, there was no sexual abuse. I want to be very clear from inside my household. That was from outside. It wasn't, um, but all the physical and the mental and, and the emotional, that was all from my father, the beatings and all the, and it just got to a point, Patrick, to where I was so filled with fear. Every step I took in my life, I was just scared to death, you know, and that, that literally led up to probably by the time I got sober, I'm 49. Now I got sober when I was 42. And, you know, I'm 6'4", 220, and I was scared of my own shadow for decades. <laughs> and and so at age 11 is when I first started drinking and using drugs. I started with marijuana and alcohol. And when I started drinking and smoking marijuana, it just took me to a different place in life to where I could be like, oh, I can breathe. Life is not so bad. I don't have to worry about all this um, you know, I don't have to have live in fear for my father, for one. But even more than that, Patrick, what it gave me was a sense of self-worth. Now, it turned out later on in life that that was built on a very shaky, false foundation. Drugs and alcohol are the big lie, in my life at least. But at the time, it numbed my feelings. It numbed my pain. It gave me a chance to feel good about myself. I took away the fears that I had. Um just everything, my whole world just opened up because I just was able to get out of that just pure, dysfunctional, insane life that I had at home. So I use drugs and alcohol to cover up a lot of pain, to mask a lot of hurt, uh, to numb myself, but also to fit in you know, and just be one of the guys, you know, and not have to worry about all the stuff that was going on at home or all the pressures that I felt, um, even as, as a young man, as, as a young kid to be, you know, in the athletic realm as well. So great question. And, um, Unfortunately, I turned out to be an addict and an alcoholic, so things spiraled from there. But that was predominantly why I drank and used uh, to start with. Sure. So what are some of the things that you tell young men or young athletes that you would talk to? I mean, everybody's heard the typical, oh, don't do drugs, don't drink. And a lot easier said than done, number one, right? 
there's there's a lot of temptation out there. Um, there's there's just a lot of and then there's a lot of comfort in drugs and alcohol for sure. And it it's just like you said, easy way to numb and mask. So what are some of the things that you discuss with younger athletes? And I kind of already probably know your answer a little bit, but when you say, Hey, when you start to get into the discussion of no drugs or alcohol, do you get a lot of eye rolls? Like, all right, what's this guy talking about? Whatever I can drink. It's fine. So just some things like that, maybe to, uh, to, to discuss. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of times folks think they have a vision of what an alcoholic or a drug addict looks like. That's the guy behind the dumpster in the back alley, drinking wine out of a paper bag or, you know, passed out somewhere, you know, and that's just not the case. So I'm a normal guy. You know, if you talk to me, you would probably never know um, my, you wouldn't guess, you know, my backstory or my life. So I like to tell a lot of, not even kids, but just, just folks in general, you never know how it's going to turn out. Um, you know, it, it's, you never know when alcohol and drugs are going to get a grip on you. When they get a grip on you, it is so hard to get out of it. You know, there, there's not, one, you know, there's the stereotypical way of how people look, but they don't discriminate. And I'll say, if you think that you grew up in a nice family with, you know, a middle class to upper class family, or, or you had good parents, or you had, and you think that you're immune to this stuff, one time drinking or one time using drugs and your life can go off the track for the rest of your life. And that kind of, and then I'll say, look at me, guys. I say, would you ever talking to me or, or seeing me, would you expect, you know, I'll tell them a little bit about my story and, and then they'll be like, no, no. So it's nice to show people that it can happen to anybody, but then I like to show, look, and now you can turn your life around. You can redeem yourself. Um, but I never give them the don't do drugs. Don't do, don't drink stuff because, you know, telling, especially younger kids, I, you know, telling them not to do something you're going to get the eye rolls, you know, because they're just naturally combative <laughs> when they're younger. So I like to give examples of what can happen. And, um, you know, and then conversely, what can happen on the positive side? You know, sometimes I'll bring in guys that I know that I played with guys in the big leagues that I know, um, you know, I had six guys drafted off my high school team and keep in touch with some of them. A few of them made it to the bigs and, and show if you work hard and if you, you know, don't give into these pressures and, and, a big thing is not comparing our insides to other people's outsides, you know, it's just really staying in your lane, believing in yourself. And if you know that you have this talent in the sports or, or in the academic world, athletically, what have it, you know, surround yourself with good people. And I try to instill to them that the more good people that you surround yourself with, uh, the better chances you're going to have to make it in life. Not, not only as an athlete, but just as a human being as well. And um, I'll occasionally give them a few crazy stories you know you know just to kind of scare them because i have been to prison for 10 years i went well jails and penitentiaries about seven in prison and about three in jail and again people like what you i'm like yeah yeah it happens when you don't think it can happen and you find yourself sitting in a jail cell ready to go to prison for years and you got no way out of those bars uh correctional officer just slammed the door on you and you're waiting to see the judge go back out to prison you're not going to break out of there like your life is is done for years and uh if you don't think it can happen to you it can so do the best you can you know to be good to people surround yourself with good people 
work hard, you know, establish great habits, you know, in the morning. That's why, you know, I love this men's health unscripted is perfect because it's not just don't drink and that's it. You know, there's so many facets to life for me that I've turned my life around now being six years clean and sober, Patrick, is that my sleep has to be good. You know, I have to have good morning habits. You know, I, I pray in the morning, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm not pushing any of that on, on people, but that's personally what I do. It's nothing long. You know, I spend a few minutes alone, quiet time in meditation, thinking about what I want to do today. Think about how I'm going to be a good example of somebody today. Who am I going to surround myself with today? Um, stuff, simple stuff, making my bed in the morning is huge because if I don't make my bed the first thing in the morning, the rest of my day, I'm going to have sloppy habits too. And with me, when I have sloppy habits, those can turn into a drink real, real quick. So, yeah. So I, I kind of run the gamut of things, you know, it just depends on the audience, but, but really just surround yourself with good people, reach out if you need help. Drugs and alcohol are definitely a big lie. They'll make you feel good off the bat. But in the end, they're not the help that you need. Right. And I, I like to say that, you know, uh, pretty frequently on the podcast is that we're not here, the men's health unscripted component. We're not here to push a lifestyle on anyone. Everybody yeah. has their own different lifestyle that works for them. Sometimes it doesn't work for them, to be honest with you. But the what we do is try to find things that work for us and try to work for other people. We get clinical trials. We try to find studies that show, hey, there's mass benefit here. It could benefit you. Um, to a degree, it it isn't medical advice because we're not directly mm. talking to a patient. We don't know them if they're listening necessarily. So we do try, and that's why we try to find different aspects of life, different guests like you to show us, you know, okay, this is X, Y, Z. This is an issue. This is an issue for me. Here's how I dealt with it. And so, you know, we don't push the religion or the lifestyle or anything like that, but prayer is good. Meditation is good. And if it comes from a good place, it's, it's, it could help someone. Absolutely. That's really what this podcast is for. Yeah. And I was just going to piggyback on that and and nor do I, you know, and and I uh, spoke to you a little bit or text with you off off camera before and told you a little bit about my, you know, how I got sober and how I stay sober, but I would never push anything on anybody. You know, I, I encourage people to find their own journey and if they find something or walk their own journey, walk their own path. And if they find something that seems to be working for them, stick with it. You know, don't let anybody ever pigeonhole you into a, into a way of thinking there's only one way to do this, or there's only one way to, you know, recover from alcoholism or or addiction, or there's only one way to get, get your life back together. You know, there's, I would encourage people to seek out people that they like how I did it, Patrick. I emulated uh, other men who I wanted to be like, and I took, you know, I took note of like their habits, um, you know, the daily stuff they did, uh, their relationship and spirituality. And again, not pushing that on anyone. It's just, I can only share from my own experience and the things that they did. I liked guys that had this quiet humility you know, about themselves, didn't feel the need to scream to the world, how great they were and, and, and this and that. And, you know, and that was something when I was younger to cover up all of my insecurities, you know, I was so arrogant. And uh, there's nothing, there's nothing attractive about arrogance at all, you know, Um, and I was so arrogant because I hated myself so much. I just didn't want anyone to ever know that I just didn't have it together, you know, so I just, I sought out men that I, uh, or just even women too, you know, just human beings that I really, really admired. And I started to emulate what they did. And then I got better at it and my life turned around. And so I just encourage people to find something or find, find 
something to look for, like a North star, you know, like some, yeah. something to look forward to or, or to look up to, you know, and then, and realize you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall, you know, fall down seven times, get up eight, just don't quit. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there. So um, I got to ask, did you quit cold Turkey one day? Just one day you say, this is enough for me. Was it a slow titration? What, what was the, the uh, kind of end result of, or maybe what was the factor that made you go sober? I know we talked about a lot of long-term abuse and substance abuse issues, but was there one defining moment that changed your life or yeah, or elaborate on that a little bit? You bet. I would like to tell you that there, there was one moment that, that I had this epiphany. And, but to be honest with you, Patrick, um, I had a million epiphanies throughout the years and I would quit and I would go back to drinking and I would quit and I'd go back to drinking, using drugs eventually. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's very nuanced drugs and alcohol. You know, a lot of folks think that, you know, you can just me personally, I just couldn't quit on my own volition. I just, I had no power. And that was my problem is that I thought I had the power over everything to quit. So I always tried to quit on my own and I just could not do it. You know, I, I have decades of proof. So I guess to pinpoint something coming to a head is that I finally, how do I say this without, let's see. I played the victim card for a long time in my life. I said, if you had my life, you drink too. What was me? Um, I'm in prison because you made me drink and drive. You know, just, I would just justify crazy stuff or I'm back in prison because um, you suggested that I went out and drank, went out and got drunk, or you, you invited me to go get drunk when, you know, I'd been sober for a few months, you know, and I would go out and do crazy things and get in trouble and get rearrested. And, and when I finally realized that it's like, dude, this is your life. You make your own decisions. You make your own choices in life. You make the choice to drink or drug or not. So start taking responsibility for your own life. Stop being a victim. People can be victimized horribly, and I'm not downplaying that, but it doesn't mean that we have to live in victimhood anymore. And once I started realizing that, saying, man, your life's getting away from you. You're now in your early 40s, 42 or so, and you're still drinking, and life is getting away quick. Um, you have, I had no relationship with my daughter. I had no relationship with my mother. I, had no, I used to say that everybody left me because that was the woe is me, you know, victimhood. Now, I'll, when I tell the story or talk about it, I say, I, I pushed everybody away. I gave people no choice. They don't want to be around me. I was a horrible person, you know, with the drinking and the, the drugging and selfish and self-centered. And I was a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And I'm none of those things today. So I got sick and tired of being that way, Patrick. And the pain of hurting my, you know, my son and daughter and the pain of hurting my mom and my friends and my family just got a lot worse than this woe is me. Um, I'm in pain mentality that I had for a long time. And uh, I just decided to change. And I, like I said, I started emulating other people who I wanted to be like, who had good, you know, really good quality sobriety, um, not just long-term sobriety, but day-by-day -day quality sobriety. And then I went about changing my life. That starts from uh, the minute I get up in the morning to the day I go, or <laughs> to the minute I, I hit the rack at night. So do you ever offer any advice on how to change your life as far as the activities that you do, right? Because being mm -hmm. sober, I know that in the in my six months, I haven't really gone and sat in a bar that didn't serve food or, you know, could I? Absolutely. 
Um, I, I have probably once or twice with some friends for a little while, but I've noticed that I started getting a little bit bored just sitting around. Uh, and I also realized how much of being outside I was missing out on. I mean, yeah, you can like day drink outside, I guess, but just really fully appreciating being outside. So do you, you know, people come to you and say, hey, Bo, I'm sure that now you're an example for a lot of people. And they say, hey, Bo, like what, what activities, what type of lifestyle changes do I need to make in order to facilitate this? Because I know I can't go back to the same bars and places I was going to just because you probably would see the same people and end up falling into mm -hmm. the same trap. Oh, it's such a great question. And, and that unfortunately is what trips up a lot of folks and brings them back to the drinking or the using or whatever, mainly the drinking. We talk about the bar aspect is that, so when I gave up alcohol and drugs for the last time, I'm just going to talk about alcohol. Um, I felt like I was losing my best friend. I felt like I was losing like a mistress or I was, or my comfort zone, you know, that was uh, the bottle was always my comfort. If, if my life was going terrible, I could always turn to the bottle because the bottle would always be there for me. Now, of course, the next day would, things would be so much worse. And, and like I said, it's the lie. But when we're in the in the midst of, you know, real insanity, the bottle was the only person that never left. <laughs> so I gave that up and I, and I had to think, wow, OK, so what am I going to I'm not going to be a dry drunk, which means just, you know, an angry uh, guy who has no fun, who's not nice to people, who's miserable because I can't get drunk. So how am I going to do this? How am I going to set about or how am I going to go about, you know, having a life of, you know, a fruitful life, a happy life, a fun life? You know, fun is huge, man, because I think, you know, I would hate life if I didn't have fun. So the things that I did now, I want to address the bar aspect real quick, Patrick. I am six years clean and sober. The only time that I ever go into a bar, and I, this is my own experience, is in an airport. I spend a lot of time in airports, but I'm a huge sports fan. You know, football season starts in tomorrow night. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, and a lot of times I'll travel or I'll be coming home. I'll go somewhere and and, and speak on a Friday or Saturday and or maybe catch a flight home on a Sunday. So um, where am I going to watch a, bar, a ball game? It's got to be in a bar at an airport, you know, but I've got enough time and years of sobriety behind me to where I'll go into a bar. I'll sit down. I know what I'm going to order every time is an Arnold Palmer. That's an iced tea and a lemonade or an energy drink. And I'll just watch the ball games till my, till I get on my flight. And every single time somebody will say, um, you know, you strike up a conversation. Hey, do you, can I buy you a drink? And I don't make a big deal out of it. All I say is no, thanks, man. I don't drink, but I appreciate it. And that's it. It goes no no further. And I think that folks will are scared about telling people that they don't drink or in, in early sobriety. Like, ooh, what are they going to think? You know, and that's, you know, are they going to think that I'm kind of boring or glum? And all you have to say is, hey, no, thanks. I don't drink. People will leave you alone. But so the other aspect is huge. Um, I've had a lot of surgeries, you know, uh, ankles, wrists, five shoulder surgeries. I need open heart surgery and back surgery in the next couple of years, just on and on. But however, uh, I love to work out. I love to get to the gym. Um, like you talked about the outdoors. I live in a beautiful, beautiful town called Boise, Idaho, which we've got lakes, mountains, rivers. I mean, just all. And I live right downtown. And I'm looking out right now up into the, to the foothills to where I hike all the time. I was up there last night. And so we've got to. So when we get rid of the drugs and alcohol, we put the bottle down. We're still left with, OK, what do we do? What do we do to have fun? So we've got to fill that hole. And I just found for me, uh, I love nature. 
I love exercise. I love riding my bike, man. I ride my bike every single day. Um, I spend time with like, you know, like-minded people, positive people. I don't have any of those friends left in my life. Those, you know, guys, that guys and gals that I used to drink and use with, um, a few of them have gotten clean and sober, but to be honest, you know, and I lost one of my very best friends on August 4th and I stopped counting a long time ago, how many friends I've had that have passed away from drug overdoses. Um, it's really sad, but that's the final outcome of what happens to alcoholics and drug addicts who, who are not willing to, to stop. So I fill that hole every day, you know, with, uh, you know, hanging out with like-minded people, people that want the same things in their life that I want for my life. I hike, bike, uh, I spend a good time. Like Sundays, man, my phone's off, except for, you know, I have my TVs on for fantasy football and, Hell yeah. and, uh, and, you know, the laptop and the phone, but I, everyone knows it's like, don't call me, don't text me unless we're texting about the game, because that's my day to take to myself and to watch football all day long. And I love it. So I need to recharge. And then uh, I just find things to do, you know, throughout the week because I drank Patrick, I drank at home. I drank at the bars. I drank on every day that ended in Y. I didn't need an excuse. I drank because it was Saturday night. Hey, let's go to the bar and have fun. I drank because it was Tuesday afternoon. I'm bored, <laughs> you know? So it's very important, the question that you asked, you know, what, what people do. So I, I just, uh, I have a plan generally each day. I don't just get up and wing it. You know, I'm not good at that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I, I do a lot of things that don't include alcohol. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that uh, a couple of my buddies who have recently sobered up kind of have kind of shifted over. And we are, we've just been suggesting to people, hey, take 90 days. It's 90 days out of your life. If you feel like alcohol's, you know, consuming a larger portion of your life than maybe it should. I, I know that I can go out or used to be able to. I could go out and I would have three drinks. And that would be like the turning point where I either make the decision to go home or it's not, it's, it, it's like, it's just down. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and that was kind of, I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic. I might've had some tendencies and I definitely yeah. have the genetic component, the family, uh, in my family. So it was something I was a little bit more aware of. And I, I feel bad because my, I don't think my dad was aware of the genetic component. And so unfortunately it took him, but this has made me so much closer to helping people if they need help. I don't have all the answers. I'm just six months in, but I know that I, I do know one thing when I decided to stop drinking, Bo, there was just this day where I was like, that's it. I've had enough. That's so awesome. And this is, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and I, and I had, it was towards the end of school or I, I was really depressed and I was really, and I did not realize it until about 60 days in that I was masking every, like all my depression, my anxiety, all of it, just like based on school. What am I going to do with get out of here? Looking for jobs. What am I going to do with mental health? I mean, everything was, and so what would I do? Just go forget about it. Yeah. And I lived in a party section in Tampa, Ybor city. I lived two blocks from some of the best bars in Tampa, some of the craziest shit you can find in yeah. Tampa too. And, and I was just feeding into that lifestyle regularly. And I knew that it had to stop. Um, and so that was really the big reason I had like some weird events happen. 
And just one day I said, you know what, no more. And I was actually at a friend's birthday party, maybe like, maybe not even 30 days in. And, and I used to love tequila, like big book connoisseur. And somebody brought a tray of really nice shots of tequila for the birthday. And normally I would have probably been one of the first ones like, Oh yeah. And to tell you what, I knew that I'd made the right decision because when that tray of tequila shots came by, it was nice tequila too. It turned my stomach. I had to go to the bathroom and I almost puked. And I was like, you know what? My body was very ready to quit. And, you know, I don't ever say like, well, I'm going to do it forever. I don't know. Um, But I know that right now I feel great. And right now I feel like I'm in a position where I need to be sharp every single day when I wake up and I need to be able to think on my feet. And it's just not the drinking that day. Even if you have a day that's fully off, you go out drinking. It's for me, it's the next day and the day after mm-hmm. and spiral and then kind of detoxing my system from the alcohol because those two, those three days afterwards or two or three days afterwards is where I would experience the worst pain. And what would be the thing is what's the best way to mask a hangover, go out and drink, right? Go out and drink. <laughs> <laughs> the hair of the dog, oh, is, boy. Hair of the dog <laughs> is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. The hair of the dog is like the cure, but it's not the cure for what happens after it just helps with the hangover. So I just, I found myself in this cycle of like Friday through Sunday, feeling like shit on Monday, uh-huh. feeling bad on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm normal. And then Friday, I'm, you know, so stressed out from the week and freaking out that I'm right back in it. And so that was, I was really only giving myself two to three really productive days a week. And I was four and four days a week, I was just pissing away. And that was, Mm -hmm. that's what I tell people is like, think, and I like being productive. So the more production I can get out of myself and more things I can get accomplished, I'm pumped. Hell yeah, man. And that's, this is what I really enjoy the most is talking about, you know, the benefits of getting sober and things like that. And, and it's such a cycle that is just perpetuated by the hair of the dog or drinking or mm-hmm. drinking. And then the depression kicks in when the booze wears off and we're lying in bed, shaking, sick, vomiting or whatever, maybe just mm-hmm. feeling like crap, you know, regular hangover. So what do we do? We drink more. Okay. Well, that is like a temporary cure okay. And you start to feel better. And he's, and, you know, and for me, I, I would feel better, you know, after a few drinks and, uh, and then I would get all these grandiose ideas of what I'm going to do. And then I'd be just drunker than hell that night and blacked out, passed out. And all of a sudden weeks for me personally, weeks had gone by and I had not done anything, but get drunk all day long. And I couldn't remember any of it. And you want to talk about being your best and being productive. I mean, don't you think that our loved ones deserve the best versions of ourselves or absolutely your, or your co-hosts for, uh, you know, for your show, or you need to be on point then for your boards, for your tests. I mean, this is big stuff, you know, I mean, this is, and for guys, I mean, you can't, can you imagine drinking all night and then going the next day and taking your pharmacy? <laughs> pharmacy oh, no. No, 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 absolutely. Or, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, I, I let my mother down so for so many years and now she's my best friend in the world, but I just, it just destroyed me. And, and I, and I had so much pain and guilt for it that I drank to mask it and cover up. And, and, and I finally realized that I'm drinking so much, not because to have a good time anymore, 
but I'm drinking just to get better. So my hands don't shake and, and this feeling of emptiness and this feeling of impending doom. Um, you know, I, I just couldn't live that way anymore. And uh, today, you know, my, my daughter just turned 23 on the fourth of this month. Um, there was a period of nine years because of being incarcerated that I didn't see her. Wow. And, you know, we're great friends now. Um, you know, my sister's the head uh, basketball coach at University of Colorado, the women's team, Lady Buffs. Uh, you know, I go out there in the, in the Christmas time or in the holidays over Christmas and spend it with them sometimes. And, and I just can't imagine anything, you know, all this good stuff that I get to do today. And my life's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But a big thing, Patrick, is my solution of when I'm having a tough time or a pinch or I'm having a, a rough moment, my solution does not lie at the bottom of a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, that I was going to say that. And you brought up a really great point that going sober does not solve your problems. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, it helps some. It helps. It gives us clarity on how to. But, it, right. but just going sober, life goes on. And it's yeah, tough. And, that, yeah. That's kind of the one thing is like when you go sober, uh, like some of my personal like funny examples is like, OK, uh, this is going to solve all your problems. No, it's not. Oh, you're going to lose a bunch of weight. <laughs> No, actually, oh, for you're gonna gain some weight, maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, just depends, so, you know. No, I I will say when I first went sober, I gained weight, and then my my body kind of re-regulated. Yeah. I will say I got the worst sugar cravings. Oh, I, I was gonna say we crave sugar. Sorry, go ahead. Please. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm not I'm not a sugar guy by any means. I never really was, and you know, here and there, birthday cake, whatever, that's cool. But I was craving things that in my life. Yeah. 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 Wanted. I mean, there was, uh, we have a grocery store here, Publix that makes um, oh, yeah. like these cookies with, uh, like cream filling, chocolate dip, all this stuff. And I'm walking by, I'm looking at <laughs> a freaking Holy grail. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I've never wanted know, this before. Man. And so I'm asking some of my friends <laughs> and, uh, and mentors, I'm like, when you stop drinking, do you just start craving sugar? And they're like, Oh yeah, that'll last for a little while. And, and then one of them's like, oh, yeah, I still. Dude. <laughs> OK, so I've got to tell you this. I, I excuse me. I hate to tell you this, but sometimes that doesn't go away. I don't know. <laughs> you gotta, there's a little discipline component to it that I'm good at it sometimes, sometimes not. So I went to the gym last night. There's a uh, big supermarket right adjacent to the gym that I usually go to afterwards and I buy some you know healthy fruit or you know whatever, bring it home. And you want to talk about cream filled donuts and stuff like that. For some reason, last night I walked by the donut aisle and it was like angels were singing. I mean, just the sprinkles on them <laughs> and these and these long maple bars. And I was like, oh. And I looked at them. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm getting one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I just crushed it in about three seconds. And then my stomach hurt. And I'm like, why did I just do that? You know? Yeah, I, I found the uh, yeah. my favorite thing. Well, actually, how I learned how to suppress that was Metajoule dates. Really? Yeah. That you can buy from the just yeah. the regular convenience store, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can just get like the dates, the uh, the fruit. Yeah. And that's, that's I, I've always eaten them, but I've found that when I have a sugar craving to eat one or two and, you know, they're, they do have a lot of sugar, but they also have a lot of fiber. So, you, you know, it's not, yeah. it, gotcha. it's not peaking your blood sugar, but they're really sweet. And for me personally, they hit the sweet tooth. They don't upset my stomach because I will say like, I think my, probably my guiltiest sugar pleasure is ice cream. And the other night I ate a bunch of ice cream and I was like, oh man, the next day got me. But the thing is, is 
that like sugar really messes with your gut biome in general, like just that raw sugar. So that's why I've been trying to find, I've always loved fruit, you know, like crazy, but dates have been my saving grace and it's really helped curb the, the sugar on it. But no, I definitely gained some weight when I first, and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna lose weight. Yeah. I did not. I gained weight Uh and I gained like not a lot, but I, but I just found myself eating crap all the, like it was like chips and i was like what the hell this uh-huh. is i was like this is worse than drink yeah. <laughs> I'm do i man i i was just shoving my face full of brownies and twinkies and ho-hos and, and donuts <laughs> and i don't do that anymore i try to live a yeah, much healthier lifestyle but yeah life doesn't get perfect man it's yeah. that's I, and, and i'm not pollyanna at all like i'm completely honest like Life can be tough. And I have a, a set, you know, a lot of people say this, but like life, life's this, you know, it, life goes on. And so one of the great, you know, people ask me all the time, what's, what's the greatest thing that you've gotten out of your years of sobriety? And I say, to be comfortable in my own skin, you know, to be okay with who I am. And I'm an infallible person and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't, you know, show me a perfect person or show me a, somebody has a perfect program or, or whatever. And I'll show you a liar. You know, I mean, it's, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, the trick is just to limit them, you know, not right. the trick goals to limit them. And uh, I eat pretty healthy, but man, I just bring it back memories when you're talking about that <laughs> for me in early sobriety. And occasionally I I'll splurge, you know, I live right down the street from the best ice cream joint in the whole city where I live in. It's called Stella's ice cream. And, and, and everybody goes there, you know, it's a cool, cool place. It's two blocks from my house and or my apartment. And I'll occasionally have a, you know, an ice cream cone or something, but, but um, it's definitely see we've got it. We we can't get give away everything to where we're not fun anymore or we don't enjoy certain things anymore. You know, for sure. I chewed I chewed Copenhagen for twenty five years. I was a can a day, fine cut. You know, I'd go to sleep with the stuff in. I, I was a red. I, I was a red man guy. Back <laughs> yeah, <in the> day. <laughs> I once got I once got kicked out of a baseball game. I was throwing a gem too in Butte, California, ninety three when I was ninety two. I was in a JC. And it was one of those days where I was feeling great. You know, my arm was good. I was throwing hard. I had a red man in here, a big plug. I had a, Co- <laughs> a Kodiak up here and a, and a Copenhagen down here. And this guy, and I, I, I was, I had like 15 Ks and I threw a nine, a, a no, or a complete game. But this guy took me deep in the ninth. I hung a slider and he hit it like 450 feet. And uh, they beat us two to one. And it wasn't a walk-off and ended up, uh, the guy pimped it, you know, flipped his bat. It took yeah. him like five minutes to walk around. So the next guy comes up the plate and I just got him right between the numbers, you know, like <laughs> 94 cheese. I'm like, I wasn't having it, man. And uh, bench is clear and all this nonsense. And then nobody got kicked out except me. And the official reason was because I had chewing tobacco. And uh, because that was the year maybe before that, was the NCAA, junior college, NAIA, all that stuff started to outlaw our ban, ban or smokeless tobacco. So, but we've got to, we've got to have fun. We've got to treat ourselves on occasion. You know? We can't just be robots in sobriety. You know? Oh yeah. I've definitely found that I might be crazier in sobriety. And a lot, I think a lot of my friends are probably like, they love me, but they're probably tired of me. And they're like, we wish you would probably go back to drinking. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> no, I got you. But no, but things, they're just like, uh, you're this crazy. Wait, you're sober? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that dude's freaking nuts, man. But <laughs> you know, you just everything kind of slows. The further we get away from our last drink, you know, and and we and we understand this kind of new lifestyle, it, it's a trial and error thing. Honestly, you know, it's like 
do I like doing this? No. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do that. Do I love to ride my bike? I found out that I, I'm an avid bike rider. I have a, I have a nice specialized kind of a hybrid uh, bike. And, and I found out that I just love it. Like after we're done, Patrick, uh, I'm going to go hang out with a few friends and then I'm going to go ride my bike along the river for like three hours. Nice. And, I, and so I, I found stuff that I really love to do that replaces instead of um, flipping on YouTube and watching old football or baseball games. I'm a big Sox fan and Patriots fan, old Boston. So, and, yeah, I uh, see uh, Tom Brady back there. Yeah, there's Brady there. <laughs> yeah, he's my guy. Uh, no bandwagon stuff for me. I've been a past fan since I was born. <laughs> but um, but instead of sitting around just watching, drinking beer all day and watching YouTube clips of the, you know, 2004 ALCS when we beat the Yanks or whatever, you know, just such a waste. I'm going to be out doing stuff, you know, and being productive and having a good time. And at the end of the day, when I lay my head down and go to bed, I'm going to, I'll think, okay, this was a good day. I got to meet, I got to meet a good friend now. His name's Patrick. I got to be on his show. We got to talk about a lot of good stuff. I exercised. I ate right, man. Um, I probably watched the, you know, get, get my team ready for tomorrow night, you know, just productive yeah. stuff, you know, had a, had a good talk with my daughter, you know, stuff like that. And instead of like, well, let's, let's review, review your day, Bo. Um, you got up at 7 a.m., your hands were shaking, you instantly reached for whiskey, you threw it all up, you ate, threw it up a little more, and then you drank all day, and then you passed out. So it's like, that's all I did for years. You know, so it's not hard when you put it that way, when you compare. I oh, wanted yeah. a life, yeah. I just wanted to, I, I existed barely, and now I live, you know. It's, it. there's definitely a difference, and, you know, again, the average person can probably have a couple drinks, no big deal. I, yeah, I'm not I can't. <laughs> nope, nope. You know, I can right. go long. You know, I, I realized I could go long stretches without drinking, but then yeah. if it was like a focus, or I know a lot of people do. So my old excuse when I first stopped was like, "Oh, I'm just doing a 30 day," and I, in my mind, I knew I wasn't. But uh, sure. I think a lot of people can respect it. Oh, cool. I'm just yeah. 30 day and a lot of people do respect it. But the, I think the end result of that 30 day is like, Oh, I cannot wait till these 30 days are over because X, Y, Z. And so that's for me sorry. was a, yeah, that, oh yeah, sorry. That was for me, that was a thing where I was like, Oh, I can't wait till these 30 days are over. And this, you know, this time now is probably the longest I've been sober since I was a kid in my 20s or whatever it's amazing if, and, and i can i congratulate you on your six months really i mean I, there was a time in my life where i couldn't stay sober six minutes let alone six months but and this leads to a bigger and more important thing i want to touch on if i may just absolutely what you, what you just said is that drinking not drinking for me is a one day at a time process and you know if i make it to 40 years sobriety it'll be 40 years of one day at a time i don't worry about tomorrow I don't let yesterday define who I am because they're gone. Tomorrow's not promised to us. A lot of times, and another thing you ask me what I talk to kids about or even people in general is time. It's, it's the most precious commodity that we have. And I'm mm -hmm. just un, unwilling to waste any more of it because I wasted so much in the past. I just won't do it. So if I'm too concerned about, okay, you say, well, I'm going to not drink for 30 days. I'm going to set that 30-day cap. Well, you just said it. You're, you're already in thinking mode that, Man, when that 30 days is up, boy, I'm going to tie one on and this and that. Mm -hmm. And you're setting yourself up for failure. You talk about hitting that three-drink smooth zone. And then if I can stop at three, okay, good, but generally not. And after that, well, there's no turning back. You know, it's all night. So 
I, I truly, and I say this, you know, it took me a while to get to where I am in this mindset is that I live life one day at a time. I don't have expectations on things. I expect a lot of myself as far as the way I behave, the habits that I engage in um, on a daily basis. And I know that if I've done my best, then however the chips may fall, I'm cool with that. And if things don't work out my way, well, okay, well, I'm cool with that. If I lost in something or if, or if I didn't get the job or if I didn't, as long as I know that I've done my very best today, does that make sense? You know, that absolutely that I'm able to live with, with the outcome. So if I don't put expectations on things, I just know that I'm going to do the very best that I can today or try to try my best today. And whatever happens, happens. I know I can look myself in the mirror at night and know that, man, dude, you did your best today. We're cool with that. Yeah. I mean, that's really all that we can do. And it probably sounds cliche and it might even it does times, but it's, it's really what it is. I mean, some days are, some days are harder than other shit piles up. I mean, it's, it's the facts of life that happen and Lately. kind of going back like nobody, you know, life isn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, and I, I would say that the main thing for me, sobriety, I've been way sharper. My, I feel like yes. my, my studying, my learning ability, my ability to research and digest information quickly has improved immensely. And I feel like for, for all this time, I'm like, damn, how I've been holding myself back a little bit. And the other thing is that I've noticed that I'm able to problem solve in a different way. I'm a little, maybe not necessarily more creative, but I can run through more scenarios and get things done or think things through on, on a much more step-by-step long-term basis rather than thinking, like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should try that. And then it ends up not being a good idea. So those, those two things for me personally have really changed just the way. And then also another thing I was thinking, I, I remember one day I was like, I think I was drunk as shit and I was really depressed and yeah. I was hanging out with some buddies and everybody's having a good time. And just, I would just go inward and I, you know, I'm like, yeah. I have yeah. myself unscripted. What the hell am I doing sitting here? And I'm still friends with all those guys, yeah. with, but I'm just like, what the hell am I doing? I'm sitting here. I'm slammed. I don't know how many beers. I'm just, I'm not doing anything. And, and, miser- and miserable, I'm guessing. Depressed, miserable. Yeah. Or, or just, or blah. Just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was weird because it was like, you know, you're riding that high from being drunk. And then just in the middle of, you know, I don't know how many beers I had. It was probably probably a lot, probably some shotguns and like whatever else. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. You know, doing what the boys do. It's, yeah. it is what it is. Um, but it just, I just had like this thought, like, what am I doing here? I'm not an example for my community and I'm, I'm trying to build this community and I'm trying to really grow this movement of guys just treating themselves with respect, being healthy I mean, I'm not doing rocket science over here. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'll happily admit it. I'm not doing advanced science research pharmacy. I just want guys to be able to set boundaries for themselves, take care of themselves, you know, reach out when something's wrong. And and how am I an example for my community if I'm getting fucked up all the time? If Absolutely. I'm doing like, yeah, I know the science or whatever. If I'm not practicing the science, if I'm not being this person, then how is that? A community how is that a person that anyone can look up to and that was like thought i was having and that was one i think one of the first thoughts i was like maybe i should change how i'm doing it 
that is so huge, man, that you actually had the, the wherewithal to, to think about that, you know, and, and then to be able to notice that because, you know, for years, um, my, I like to say, you know, my, my video didn't match my audio. You know, I talked a good game, but my actions didn't match it at all. Mm -hmm. And today, one of the things that I say in the morning is, you know, please help me be a good example to anybody I come across, whether they're in recovery or not. And the way that I want to, and, and we don't, we don't, you know, the, the science behind all this stuff and is fantastic and, and it's on point and this and that. But what you're doing with your show and your and your co-host or your fellows and, and reaching out, I don't, I, I don't know if you know how invaluable it is. I mean, it's like I have, especially we talk about ballplayers, athletes, and we talk a little about losing our identity, you know. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, which is huge, and it's like what do we do once like my, my identity was I was a ball player. And then when I was in, I was in the army, I was an in infantry, you know, I was an airborne, I was a paratrooper, you know, blah, blah, blah. Which, but okay. So I'm out of the army. I can't play ball anymore. It's like, what do I do? I have no identity. And so I felt like I was a failure. And then I felt like I was, everyone was looking at me as a failure. And so I had to find something to, you know, to change eventually. And I wasted a lot of years, but to realize like what you're talking about, having your show, uh, going into the profession that you're going into, wanting to impact lives, wanting to impact young lives, men's lives. I don't think that men get enough, um, I don't know, publicity, not publicity is the wrong word, but I don't think, I think that we're looked at like, hey, you all just have to pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's the only way. And sometimes that just gets impossible when we've been doing our whole lives. We just get exhausted. And so we need outlets to talk to other guys about things. And you cannot be half drunk or hungover or thinking about going and getting drunk or thinking, you know, if you're, if we're going to preach one thing, you know, we've, our actions have got to match our words, man. If we want to be an example, we've got to be, we've got to live it. You know. Yeah. I mean, realistically, like I always say, the DMs, the email, like the website, it's an open book. Reach out. And I, I offer people that. And realistically, we've had some heavy stuff come through the email. We've had some heavy, heavy stuff come through the DMs. And there's no way to be able to adequately process that drunk or hungover. It's just, it's not possible. Zero. I, I mean, I've, I, I remember one morning I woke up I got, I tore it down until probably four o'clock in the morning and was in bed. I woke up and I remember a really heavy email coming through about somebody who was having some issues and like, I, and we, and I offer it. It's always open. If you're listening right now, it's always open. And I was just like, fuck, I can't deal with this. And I just, yeah, yeah I just put my phone down. I'm like, geez, what have I done? And, and, um, it was so that was an eye-opening experience for me because now I can't fulfill what I'm even offering. And you know, I have no no credibility. It's gone. Right. And and I ended up addressing it, you know what I mean? But it it just took me a lot longer than I would have liked. Mm -hmm. And it I put it off. And um, you know, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But this is <laughs> you know, this is kind of how it is. And and it these defining moments got me probably before I maybe hit the point of no return. Yes. I'm thankful for that, but I, I want this community community to grow as much as it's going to grow. And I'm going to always push it. This is like my passion project. I love this because 
you know, what, it, what is men's health right now in the media? Dick pills, hair loss. That's all, Pretty much. That's, yeah. all the media, that's all the media cares about. <laughs> and, you know, and I hear a lot of advertisements on pot. I love podcasts. I live in the podcast. I learn from podcasts, but I hear advertisement for certain companies that are, you know, medications for ED. And when you're listening to it, it's like the side of, they don't tell you the side effects. They're not telling you the contraindications. It's just a podcast host reading off a script. I get it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You want to make some sales to come yeah. themselves. A lot of those drugs, yeah, they're relatively benign, but there are some, some instances that a person should not take them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are you doing if a person is on, you know, that you, you're not really supposed to take nitrates for chest pain. I, I was going to say, I believe that there's heart issues yeah. associated so, with them. Yeah. So what happens is like a lot of those meds were originally made for, to lower blood pressure and yes. hypertension. And what they found is that, you know, you look like you have flushing, you have low blood pressure. When you take them, if you're taking nitrates for chest pain, it can actually cause like profound low blood pressure to a mm-hmm. To a fatal point, so they're contra- they're contraindicated, which means under no circumstance take it. Mm-hmm. And you're not hearing these podcasts say that. You're not hearing these advertisements. It's just like, hey, take this, and you're good to go. They don't tell you that it doesn't really help with libido. You're just helping your blood flow. There's there's so many components and that that don't go into education for men. And so it's like our sexual education is. Not really great in America in general. Sex ed, yeah, in, in general, you know, yeah, you know, and a lot of a lot of men's health is definitely tied into our sexual health. You know, what do like you know yeah. eight grade kids do? Oh, you got a little dick, or you know, they say yeah, so yeah, yeah. to, and mm-hmm. always tied into sexuality. And so I think to provide a safe place to educate people on sexual health, to physical health, emotional health, mental health, and a lot of that, I. A lot of that doesn't get put out there because it's all so superficial. Oh, you're going to, you're going to lose your hair one day. You're going to have low T and your dick isn't going to get hard. And that's all it is out there. When I think about <laughs> it, it's like you said, it's dick pills and hair loss pills, Yeah, you know, and, and low T and Frank Thomas, you know, on, on every time on the TV <laughs> talking about his, his testosterone stuff or whatever he's talking out there, you know, but right. it's crazy. I, yeah. I think that, you know, as men, we can add so much value to society if we thought of ourselves as so much more than dick pills and hair loss. Completely, man. And I think <laughs> that it's all, it's almost like taboo for men to, especially in the athletic culture, but not it's not just germane to the athletic culture. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's so important for men to be able to just to have an open forum to talk about these things, because I think, A, a lot of men are embarrassed by it. Oh, but, once they, but once they hear other men talking about it, they're like, oh, okay, well, that guy's talking about us. So maybe it's cool if I talk about it too. And that's how it is in sobriety. That's why I share my story and sometimes very, very in depth because, you know, like, wow, that guy did that and came out the other side. Okay, well, I can do that too. And it's the same as this men's health, what we're talking about, dick pills, hair loss, um, libido, stuff like that, <laughs> you know, that people like guys in our culture, oh, you have to be macho and this and that. Well, okay, I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. But what I am knocking is the ability not to have a conversation about it. Because yeah. when people stuff anything inside, nothing good can come from that. A, physically, you're not going to get better. Or I don't want to say better. You're not going to improve. You need to improve. And B, emotionally, you're, you're just going to be destroyed, man. Because the more we keep stuff in and are unable to talk to other people about it, and then these commercials they put out, 
about um, all these great looking guys and big athletes and have with, with these good looking women and, and on and on and on. Okay. So guys are comparing their insides to what they see and they're not measuring up, but what they see on these commercials or a lot of times, even on Instagram and social media is not real life. And so people are thinking inside going, gosh, I fuck, man, I can't compare to that guy. I don't compare. I'm not a big ball player or an athlete, or I don't have that girl on my shoulder or my arm, or I'm not out there sleeping with all these gorgeous women. You know, it's like, does this mean that I'm just a nobody and I'm a low life? And that's how self-esteem gets destroyed by seeing all this bullshit that's put out there, you know, making people's lives seem like they're just perfect. And it's just, it's a fantasy world, Patrick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just- I mean, I, like, it, it's crazy. I fell into my own trap the other day. I like, I, there was a video, I was doing a cold plunge and my hair was wet and it was just like the way the sun oh. was, was like, oh shit, am I going bald? Did pharmacy school do that to me? You know? <laughs> and I just like hey, fell into my <laughs> Check it out. See, I got, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh damn, did pharmacy school get me? And I was like, oh no, it's fine. But that was just kind of uh Yeah, no, I got you. But you know what? It's oh, so ahead, much sorry. it's it's so much media and and it is, man. Yeah. I think you know, we can so much be the stewards of what we consume or what we put out there. And I've I've really tried to make an effort of not being so much of a consumer, but to be a creator and give people an option. You know, it's it's funny, like I'm 49, I was 38 and I was walking up these steps into a building. And my daughter said, dad, you have a big bald spot in the back of your head. And I had known it, but I just wasn't willing to admit it yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I was depressed for like a week. And then I was like, you know what? Nope, not doing this. Started shaving it. And it's been 12 years, probably 12, 13, yeah, about 12 years. And I'm glad that I do because I like it, you know, it's yeah, cool. So looks good. So yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I was talking to a guy in the gym about it last night, you know, and he's like, I hope I don't lose my hair, you know, and I'm like, well, I started getting widow speak and all this stuff. But what I told him was that, dude, you'll, you'll adapt to it and then you'll start to like it. And you'll be like, man, you know, so, but society always, you know, I used to have this thick black head or head full of thick black hair, you know, and I was just destroyed when it, when it started going away. But then after I was like, no. I'm not, I, I refuse. No, I'm going to shave it. It's cool. Done. And I've been doing it forever. So um, it's not the end of the world to lose your hair. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It just, it just feels like it, you know, um, but just to have conversations that may seem silly or benign, but they're not so benign. Like some men losing their hair can be a devastating, absolutely devastating thing and can really wreck their confidence and, you know, and can do numbers on, on everything, you know, and, and stress, you know, you being in this business, stress is a killer, man. Being oh, yeah. stressed about how I feel, how I look, how I portray to other people, how, you know, always doing that compare game. And it, and it killed me for years. And that's, I'm so grateful that I'm out of that game anymore, or I'm not in that compare game. And I'm good with who I am. I'm good with myself. Oh, yeah. We say on here a lot that comparison is the death of joy. Completely. It's a joy kill. <laughs> death, the death of joy. Absolutely. It's, I put out is. some Instagram stuff on you know, don't compare and stuff. You know, I do some reels once in a while and I get a lot of really good feedback. And, and you know, I, I wanted to say real quick, I know we're probably coming to the end here, but um, I loved how you talked about how you got your DMs. And they're heavy and stuff like that. You know, I get them too. And, um, and I'll share one real quickly with you. So 
I'm on Facebook. Facebook's more of a forum for me and my buddies kind of talk smack about sports and this and that. But occasionally I'll post some some of my recovery journey stuff on there. But Instagram is kind of my main thing. And then I have a book coming out and then I speak and other stuff. But so this guy sent me a DM and I'm not going to say his name, obviously, or anything. But he said, I'm, I'm a 44 year old football coach from Jacksonville. And I want you to know that for the last 12 years, uh, every Friday and Saturday night, I go into my garage and I work on my fishing tackle and I drink uh, 15 to 18 beers every Friday and Saturday night. And he says, I want you to know because of what I've seen out of your sober posts that I've quit drinking. And because of my quit drinking, my three-year-old daughter never has to see her daddy drunk. Wow. And so you talking about the DMs that come through to you, you know, similar stuff, they motivate me and they legitimize what I'm doing about my, my sobriety, my recovery, talking about things with other people, opening up conversations like you all are doing on, you know, it's a wonderful show. I can just guarantee that you're doing so much for so many people. But so when this is just a word of advice that I have to give myself sometimes when I may be feeling down or maybe I'm having a tough day, remember those DMs. And remember the people that are, are looking to you, you, Patrick, you know, or, or Men's Health Unscripted or to, you know, to be that example, to be that North Star. And for me, that's all it takes, man, is just to, you know, snap out of it if I'm having a rough moment or something and be like, man, you have put yourself out there. You have, you have made a decision, a commitment to sobriety and to helping other people get better. So you have a responsibility to uphold your end of the, end of the bargain. Yeah, very similar story. We uh, I, I practice yoga and there's like a Nordic sauna and there's all kind of like well there and I, I sauna pretty regularly and it's a really great community. It's I love that sauna yeah. community. And one of the guys that I sauna with pretty regularly um, was talking to Joe and myself. I'm not going to say his name, but yeah, I, I know he listens and I, I appreciate it very much. But he said, hey, I was listening to you guys podcast. Uh, we had a uh, podcast with uh, Joe Ferrelli, myself another guy named Brock, who we've all been uh, sober for different amounts of time and just kind uh -huh. of sharing our journey just to give people some insight. Okay. Um, and he said, I listened to your podcast and he says, if they can do it, I can do it. And I was like, it really meant a lot. It really meant a lot because, you know, I, I think he was saying he's, I think he's a little older than me, but he was like, these young guys can be out at the bar picking up chicks, like, you know, drinking, partying, doing whatever they want. And instead they choose to do something productive and they choose to help. And I, and you know, it really meant a lot. So you know, if you're listening, I appreciate it. And it was, it was so, it was so great just to hear that. Yeah. And I know that, and we started this on the premise of if we can change one life, yeah. it is, we're all worth it. And so I, the oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, and I think we've impacted so much more than that and i think that we'll continue to i guarantee you have just by talking to you today and the and the beauty of that is that it's like you know when people look look to you as an example it for me in my experience it gives me more impetus to even become better than i already am more health you know healthier or even a better example and then when i can pass that on to somebody else here's the beauty of it it's not it, it's infinite or i mean it's not infinite it you know what I'm saying? It, it goes and goes and goes. It's yeah. not just a one, one stop thing, you know, it's, and so it's you passing on experience, strength, hope, you know, whatever to somebody else. They're like, wow. Okay. Patrick gave me some amazing advice. I'm going to pass this on to this guy. 
you got some amazing advice and it just goes and goes. It's not a singular one off. And, and before you know it, man, you we literally have a chance to change the world on this stuff. You know, sure. and I know that sounds huge and a little bit, you know, out there, but, but, you know, you start with one person and it multiplies. And before you know it, man, you've got a lot of, a lot of healthy people wanting to help other people. And in my community, the recovery community, I spent a lot of time in, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what do you, what's, what's the most important thing that, you know, in your life that you do for your recovery. And I say to help other people mm -hmm. that flat out. Yeah. It, it really, it keeps you on your toes. It, and it's just, it really is very gratifying to know that someone is able to change their life for the better. And it came from our show or our social media or us like just in person. I mean, we do community stuff in Tampa all the time. We have a, actually have a car show coming up October 1st. Um, my good friend um, Tiffany and her husband are throwing this car show and it's probably, I hope, hopefully like a key demographic. I mean, guys love cars. There's like big muscle cars going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a tent. We help sponsor the event, but for us to get into the community, because you see the face mm -hmm. of this, and then you can also see like, well, these guys are these guys really practice what they preach. They're out there for real. And I think that more so than, I, I mean, honestly, I hate social media, but it's a necessary evil. I know. But I'm right there with you. This is people, <laughs> but people, I mean, that's really how you, I would be limited to Tampa if it wasn't for social media. Yeah. So, But the thing is, is that we're able to impact so many lives just going out in person and then they follow us and then they can continue to get information or People really, they just see that we care so much that we go out into our community. I mean, I could sit at home all day and just make reels and, you know, whatever, but it's not really doing anybody any good if I'm not out there. And just boots on the ground is like just the way I was learned. I, I was taught to sure. a, to start a movement. You got to do grassroots. It's, I mean, straight up. Just as long as you're out there promoting what you believe in. You, you can't lose, you know, as long as you're authentic, you're vulnerable, you share from your own experiences and you share out of the position of wanting to help other people. There's no way that you can lose flat out. Yeah. Thank you, Bo. So we're going to wrap it up a little bit. Any last uh, points of advice that you would like to give our viewers from your, all your years of experience? Boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, li life is, Life is a journey, and I don't want this to sound simplistic and cliche-ish, but we've all got our individual journeys to walk. Some of us find out life and figure it out earlier than others. Some of us, it takes a little bit longer. I'm 49 years old. I think I figured out a good majority of it by the time I was 42. So that's took me a long time, but uh, just don't give up and don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. You are good how you are. And if you feel you need to make improvements, go ahead and make those improvements and make today the first day of the rest of your life, you know, just crush it. Man, I love that, Bo. So, Bo, where can our viewers reach you? Uh, Instagram handle, anything like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, first of all, I uh, bopain.com is my website. It's more of a speaker's website. Uh, so if anyone's ever interested in having me come speak for them or their organization, they can reach me through bopain.com. That's B-E-A-U-P-A-Y-N-E.com. Uh, Instagram, my handle is at soberbo. So S-O-B-E-R-B-E-A-U. And I do have a book called Pain to Purpose. It's a new book coming out. It'll be on Amazon in, I believe, the first week of October. 
And my last name being Payne, it's just about how I found purpose in life. So turning turning my pain into purpose. So I hope everyone will go out and get yourself a copy of that. And maybe find a little inspiration there too. So yeah, those are probably the best ways to reach me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bo. I'll make sure everybody, I will include all those links in the bio of this podcast and anywhere we advertise it. But Bo Payne, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, I already know that if the time comes, we'll have a part two. I would love to talk about your identity yes. as a baseball player. I think talking about losing my identity as a baseball player mm. um, would be really interesting. And, you know, not everybody's a baseball player, but a lot of people do things for a period of time. And after that's gone, you lose your identity. So we'll, I would love to talk about that. It's not really something we've addressed a whole lot uh, on our platform. And I think you might be the perfect guy to do it with me. I'd be happy to. I, I I love talking about that stuff. So yeah, it's it's huge. People lose identity in anything: military, baseball, sports, work, our relationships, um, anything. And sometimes when that stuff leaves us, we're left naked in front of the world. What do we do? Oh yeah. So. Well, everybody, have a great rest of your week. Have a fun weekend, and we will see you soon. All right. Thanks, Patrick.